Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Beelzebub was the name of a demon, and Jesus was referring to the fact that they called him a demon. They said that he worked his miracles by the power of demons. Verse 26, Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. In other words, the truth will always come out. Truth will always prevail. It might not prevail in your life and my life, but the truth will prevail because Jesus is the truth. Verse 27, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore... Whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. I want you to look at verse 31. Do not fear, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So the admonition of Jesus, the encouragement of Jesus, and not just Jesus, but we can go back Throughout the scripture, and we see God telling his people, fear not, fear not. God told Joshua, as Joshua had the task, the responsibility of leading the children of Israel from the wilderness into the promised land. And you think about Joshua, who worked side by side with Moses. Moses was taken from the backside of the desert to Egypt, and he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they wandered around in the desert, and God supernaturally provided for them for 40 years in the wilderness. And then Moses dies, and Joshua is given the responsibility of leading this people into the promised land. And 40 years earlier, they were already, it was already revealed to them because Joshua was one of two spies that came back from that mission. If you remember the story, 12 spies were sent into the land to spy out the land. Just months, months after they left Egypt. And they come to the promised land and they go in to spy out the land. And when they come back, 10 of the 12 spies said, we can't take this land. The people are too great. They're too strong. They're too mighty. Their cities are too fortified. And they're 
giant. They're huge. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way we'll be able to defeat them and take the land. But Joshua and Caleb stood up and said, no, the Lord has given us the land. The Lord brought us out of Egypt to send us into the land. That is our land. We must go in and take the land. The Lord is with us. He will give us victory. Well, the story goes that bad spies, the spies who lacked faith, prevailed and the people decided they were too afraid to try to go into the land. And so God says, that's fine. You'll wander around in this wilderness for 40 years and every one of you of this generation that because of your sin and unbelief, you will die in the wilderness and your children, the next generation, will go into the land and they'll inherit the land. And then all the people said, no, well, wait a minute, God, we change our mind. We've decided we will go in. God says, not too late. So this is this Joshua. Now Joshua, Moses dies and Joshua is going to lead the children in. Can you imagine the weight of responsibility? Can you imagine what Joshua must have felt. Well, we can't imagine because the Bible reveals to us that God told Joshua, Joshua, be strong, be of good courage. Fear not, for I am with you. And God told him that multiple times. And God told Joshua that, and Joshua recorded those things for us today because just as God told Joshua, fear not, for I am with you. Be strong, be of good courage, fear not. That is what God is still telling his people today. This is exactly what Jesus told his disciples. Now, here in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending his disciples out to preach the message, the gospel of the kingdom. If you look back in Matthew chapter 10, verse, verse 5, says, Then these twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter into a city of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Don't worry about taking money with you. Don't worry about how you're going to make it. Just go and trust me. Yes, they're going to throw you in prison. Yes, they're going to bring you before courts. Yes, they're going to try to kill you. Yes, they're going to persecute you. But do not fear. And what we just read, verse 27, or verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body. Now why would, what, what, what do you take from that statement? When Jesus, if Jesus was sending you out to go preach the gospel of the kingdom, and he said, don't fear those who kill the body. What would be your first thought? Oh, well, wait, you're sending me on this mission. Are you, 
Are you telling me I could get killed? Would that thought enter your mind? If Jesus is sending you out on a mission, he says, don't fear those who kill the body. That's exactly what he's saying. And we know from church history that ultimately every one of the disciples were martyred that we know of except for John. He died of old age. He's the only one. All the rest of them were killed. And, and John died of old age, not because they didn't try to kill him. If you read church history, they got really creative with John. They tried boiling him in oil. They did all kinds of things, but they couldn't kill him. You know why they couldn't kill him? Because it wasn't time for him to die. You know why you're still here today? Because it's not your time to die. You know what's going to happen one day for all of us? Sooner or later, we'll all meet death. These bodies will die. There is a time coming when we will make the transition from this life to the next. From this temporal realm to an eternal realm. But for the believer, those who have power to kill the body, we have no reason to fear them. Because the one who has real power over us, the one who has the power to cast our soul into hell, if you are in Christ, he has redeemed you and made you his very own and raised you up in his resurrection life and power. And death now has no power, has no hold on you. Even though your body will die one day, you will live eternally. So Jesus can say with all authority, do not fear those who kill the body. Now, that admonition of Jesus to not fear is a reminder of what Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6. Let's turn over a couple of pages back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is this record of the Sermon on the Mount. This discourse of Jesus where he covers and he talks about all kinds of things. And we get to Matthew chapter 6 and we come to verse 19. And let's just read this together. Matthew 6, 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. And if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Now here's the key, church. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about these things, but seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now we can look at that scripture and we can conclude different things about it. But here's one thing that's very important for us to realize. And I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. That Jesus does not call us to live irresponsibly. But Jesus absolutely calls us to live fearlessly. And there is a difference between living irresponsibly in living fearlessly. We can live irresponsibly and be consumed by fear. We can live responsibly in faith, looking unto Jesus, seeking first His righteousness and His kingdom, and live with absolute fearless abandon. And I believe that's the way God wants us to live. Though I'm going to tell you from personal experience, I rarely live that way. I'm just being honest. 
But as I read the Scripture, as I study the Scripture, I am reminded constantly of how much fear, of how much worry, of how much stress that I allow to permeate my life. And I read the words of Jesus and they can seem very cliche. They can seem very trite. And, and it's easier for us to say, well, that's Jesus. I live in the real world. No, you live in the world Jesus created. You live in the here and now. And you don't live under anything that God is not aware of. You don't live under anything that Jesus did not live under. You don't face any temptation that Jesus himself did not take, did not, uh, was tempted. Whatever temptations, whatever trials, whatever things come our way, the same things Jesus had to deal with. And Jesus is not telling us this because he believes it's impossible. Well, it is impossible for us in and of ourselves. But he walked this path before us. And we're not putting our faith in our ability to overcome everything. We're not putting our faith in our ability to get it right all the time. We're not putting our faith in our ability to never make a mistake, to never fall in the ditch. We're putting our faith in Jesus who has promised us that in spite of the reality that we are going to fall in the ditch, that we are going to fail, that we are going to fall down, that we are going to suffer tribulation, that we are going to suffer lack, we are going to suffer things in this life. He's telling us this because he's saying, put your faith in me because I have overcome the world. John 16, 33, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. And when Jesus tells us not to worry, but to look to the flowers and look to the birds. He's not being trite. He's being absolutely serious. And He's telling us what we absolutely must know. That He has called us to live fearlessly. Joshua 1.9 the words of God to Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 4.8 I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. How many of you have... Insomnia. How many of you lay awake at night worrying about things? Trying to figure out how you're going to do this and how you're going to do that. Here's a scripture for you. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell 
and safety. Psalm 27.1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It's a question for us. Who do you fear? The Lord is your light. The Lord is your salvation. Who do you fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You guys seen the Coke commercial about the little kid? Little brother, big brother. Y'all seen that? Little brother's short, big brother's real tall. And the full, the full commercial shows the big brother picking on his little brother at home. You know, just because he's so tall and the little brother's shorter. So he just, like, always oh, giving him a hard time. And then it, toward the end of the commercial, it has a scene where this little brother is sitting on a park bench drinking a Coke. And this group of bullies come up and they steal his Coke from him. They're going to drink it. And the guy's just getting ready to drink the Coke and he looks up and he... He hands a Coke back to the little guy because Big Brother just walked up. And he hands the Coke to the Big Brother. And the little brother sitting on the park bench watching his brother thinking, oh, here's my Big Brother. He's going to drink my Coke. The Big Brother looks at the Coke and then he hands it back to his little brother. And the, and the, the gang of bullies, they run off in fear. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, why do you think the writer of Hebrews there links covetousness with fear? Do you notice that? Why do we covet things? You know what it means to covet? Why do we want things we don't have? Why do we look at things and say, man, I need that. Man, if I just had that... How many of you have ever said, man, if, you know, if I could just win the lottery, or if I just had some rich relative leave me a bunch of money, then I'd be secure. And I wouldn't worry about my retirement. I wouldn't worry about what's going to happen to me. I wouldn't worry about how I was going to pay my bills if I could just win the lottery. If I could just strike it rich. I mean, if I could just get this get-rich-quick scheme to work, I'll be set. And we're always looking for what we don't have. We're always grasping at what we don't have. We are always wanting what we don't have. That's what it means to covet. And very often times we do that because we're fearful. Because we think if I can have that, then that, that's going to take away my fear. Then I'll be secure. If I can get that, then I'll be secure. And what the Bible teaches us is that we have God. What more do we want? What more do we think we need? Now here again, 
that truth doesn't give us a right to go out and live irresponsibly. Because when you call the electric company and say, hey, I don't need to pay my electric bill this month because I got God. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about living your life in faith in such a way that you are trusting God. And that trust and that faith in God begins to dictate and determine everything you do. It determines how you work. It determines how you talk, how you walk, how you live. It determines your attitude toward things. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now look at verse 27. Back to Matthew chapter 10. On Matthew chapter 10, verse 27. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Preach with abandon. You say, well, I'm not a preacher, pastor. No, we're all preachers. A preacher is a proclaimer. You're you're proclaiming something with your life. Your life is preaching a sermon every day. The question is, what is the message? You might not get up behind a pulpit and preach on a Sunday morning, but every day you live, your life is preaching a message. What are you proclaiming? Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's sending them out to literally preach. But guess what? Read Matthew chapter 28, verses 19, 20, 21. And you'll see that Jesus has sent us all out to preach. Mark 16. Preach the gospel to every creature under heaven. He didn't say that to just apostles and disciples. He said that to all believers. The commission is for all who believe. We are all preachers. And this is no time to be timid. There's never been a time when the church should be timid. But we live in our time. This is our time of visitation on planet earth. And this is not a time for the church to be timid about what she is preaching and what she is proclaiming with her words, with her deeds, with your life, with your walking, with your talking, with your working, with your playing, with everything. This is not a time to be timid. We should live our lives with abandon. We should live fearlessly proclaiming the kingdom is at hand because it is. Verse 28, Jesus says, Do not... Fear. Do not fear. Do not fear those who kill the body, 
Here's the reality. This is a reality for the church today. It might not be the reality for the church in Taylor, but right now as we speak, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are losing their lives for the sake of the gospel. Right now as we speak, there are men and women and children who are losing all, whether it's their physical life or their physical material possessions, they're losing everything for the sake of the gospel. And Jesus didn't deny that reality. Jesus didn't say, if you just have enough faith, you'll never experience persecution. Don't believe the name it and claim it prosperity false prophets. Don't listen to them. Turn them off. Burn their books. Tell people, don't listen to that garbage because that's exactly what it is. It's garbage. Jesus never said, if you just have enough faith, you'll never get sick. If you just have enough faith, you'll never have a bad day. If you just have enough faith, no one's going to ever be mean to you. No one's ever going to say a bad thing to you. No, Jesus said, you will have tribulation in this life. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Do not fear. Do not fear. Those who have power to kill the body. But fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. So verse 27, live, proclaim, preach with abandon. Verse 28, do not fear as you live that life with abandon. Verse 29, look what he says. I love this. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Nothing happens outside of God's sovereign will. Nothing happens outside of God's ultimate control. Now, my translation says a copper coin. If you've got a King James, it probably says a farthing. The point is, it was a very extreme, small amount of money. It was, it was less than a penny. It was very small. And then Jesus goes on. Look what he says. And not one of them, not one of these sparrows, two sparrows are sold for a copper coin, but not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. The Father's attention is focused on the very smallest, the seemingly least valuable thing. Sparrows fall to the ground every day. We don't give a thought of it. But Jesus says, my Father in heaven does. Not one of them falls to the ground apart from his will. That sparrow in some remote rainforest that just fell to the ground that you and I don't know about, it did not fall to the ground apart from 
the Father's will. Is Jesus just being extreme or is he being serious? I think Jesus is being serious. And I think this is pretty extreme. Jesus takes an example, a metaphor, a reality concerning something that is of such little value to the average person. But he says that thing that is of such little value to you is of great value to my Father in heaven. How much more then is your life valuable to the Father if, if a sparrow is that valuable to the Father that it cannot fall to the ground apart from His will? What is going to happen in your life apart from the will of the Father? What's going to happen in your life that falls outside the realm of God's ultimate control? The answer to that question is not one thing. Nothing. Nothing's going to happen in your life that falls outside of God's ultimate control. Father's attention to the smallest, seemingly least valuable things highlights how much more attentive he is to us, the very ones he has redeemed by the life and blood of his very own son. Verse 30. I especially like this verse. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. No, not because I'm bald. But because it says something. We are so often tempted to think God's involved in the big things, the important things. But he just kind of leaves the little things to run themselves. In case you're tempted to believe that, Jesus made sure verse 30 was in your Bible. Reminding us that the very hairs of our head are numbered by God. They're not hairs on His head. They're hairs on your head. You can't even number the hairs on your own head why would God care to number the hairs on your head? But he does. And why does he do that? So that we will never be tempted to think or to believe correctly that he is not involved in the smallest of details down to the very hairs on your head. <coughs> Jesus is telling his disciples this as he's sending them out. Jesus is telling his disciples this because he knows he's going to be crucified and they're going to be left and he knows that they are going to be literally fearing for their own lives 
Jesus is telling them this because he knows that he will be resurrected. He will pour out his spirit and they will go out in power and proclaim this gospel to their very deaths. And they will do it joyfully. They will do it courageously. They will do it fearlessly and with total and complete abandon. Jesus is telling his disciples this because he knew that it would be recorded and we would read it one day. Because Jesus wants us to go out and he wants us to live our lives in the very same way with fearless abandon for his glory, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is involved in the smallest of details. In verse 31, do not fear. Do not fear. Why? Because you are of more value. More value than what? Than many sparrows. Than flowers and birds and fields and forests. You are of more value. And God has proven your value because he sent his son to die for your sin. God has proven your value because he has redeemed your life by the blood of his son. And he commands us, do not fear. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. One last scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God is always working in ways and through means by which man can never rightfully take the glory for anything, though we try constantly. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 25 through 31. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. He's talking about how the Jews want a sign and the Greeks want wisdom. We're all looking for a proof text. We're all looking for a sign. Give me a reason to believe. We're no different today than they were 2,000 years ago or 6,000 years ago. It's the sinful nature of man. Verse 25, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, 
who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. God has called us to live fearlessly in faith for His glory. So church, live with abandon. Live without fear. So that all sounds really good, Pastor Jeff, but I'm not really sure how to in practice do that. Well, here's how you can begin. Get on your face and cry out to God and ask God to help you. Get on your face in humble submission and ask God to do a work in you that you can't do in yourself, that no man can do, but only He, by the power of His Spirit, can do. And if you will do that in humble submission to God, I promise you God will respond. And you keep humbling yourself. You keep crying out. And whether you see it, whether you feel it, whether you can measure it, you keep humbling yourself. You keep crying out and I promise you God's working. He's always working. Very often it's in ways we can't see, we can't feel, we don't know. But God is working. Fear not. Amen.